0: Hello and welcome back to Equity, a podcast about the business of startups where we unpack the numbers and the nuance behind the headlines. My name is Alex. I'm a reporter here at TC and I'm joined by my crew. I got Natasha with me. Natasha, hello.
1: Hello, Alex. How's it going?
0: It's going terribly, but we'll get to that in just a minute. Marianne, <laughs> hi. How are you?
1: I am good
2: today, believe it or not. Whoa. I love wow. to hear it.
0: Wow. Wrong answer. <laughs> Guys, we, we have an entire show to get through. We'll talk about what we're going to get into in a second. But first, first, absolutely up top, Twitter, Twitter edit button is coming. I'm pissed. I don't want it. I want it out <laughs> of my life. But I realize that I'm only right most of the time. So takes, please.
1: <laughs> um, my take is that I I actually didn't even know that there was a new update on the edit button saga because I feel like it's that update that like keeps getting teased on April Fool's when Twitter Blue got launched. And now I'm like, I don't even care. I'm sorry. I don't. Marianne, what do you think? Yeah,
2: I'm I'm kind of in the same boat, to be honest. And right now, it's kind of like the way we've been editing our tweets is to delete and then redo the tweet, right? But the weird thing about Twitter I've noticed is even if you delete a tweet, it somehow still exists, sort of. Like, I've still seen tweets. Like, I'll click on something and it'll say, well, this tweet has been deleted. But you could still see it. So it didn't really get deleted. Do you all know what I'm talking about?
0: I do. I yeah, do. Okay. Lag, so a lag anyway. For sure.
2: Yeah. So I I don't know. Whatever. I mean, it's all a <laughs> show. Oops.
0: <laughs> wow. Marianne, <That> was fast. <laughs> right out the bat. See, Good morning, to, everyone. <laughs> when you listen to Equity on your podcast, you know, app, we have edited out all the profanity with bleeps or, or intelligent cuts. On the live stream, you get and you get all of it. Yeah.
1: It's incentive.
0: Yeah. You know what's great though is people like a raw equity performance, a non edited equity performance. They like the real thing. Oh. Just like they prefer unedited tweets, which are much better than this crap we're going to have now. <laughs> Anyways, let's do a show. We got a packed agenda for the day. We're going to riff on stacked Astro and Anchor with a look at African fintech. Then we're going to talk about the big changes at YC. I and mean, this is probably the biggest news of the week. Gary Tan's taking over. What's going to happen to initialized capital? We'll get into that. Then we're going to talk about real estate wins and losses, which is really just. Real estate losses because if you haven't seen what's going on with interest rates, mortgages are screwed. And then we're going to talk about Snap and Clerco, which is not going to be the happiest part of the show, but it does have some important implications for startups all around the world. So tune into that. And then we'll do a couple of questions because we are live. If you're hearing this on Friday, you missed it. Follow us on Twitter, Equity Pod. Hang out with us when we do this. Whew. Now, that in mind, we're going to begin with Astro, Marianne. I absolutely love labor conversations. I love Latin America. I was excited about this company. I want to know what's going on.
2: Yeah. So, ask- is an interesting company. I believe it's based here in my home city of Austin. And what they're doing is they're trying to solve for the software developer shortage that we have here in the US by hiring developers in Latin America. They're focusing on, I think, a few specific countries that did not include Brazil, which I thought was interesting. Colombia, Chile, Argentina, Uruguay, Mexico. And then recruiting that developer talent and then helping companies here in the US by like pairing them up, kind of acting as a go-between. Very interesting concept, not one I've necessarily heard of before. One thing though that I also found interesting about this company is that they claim to be profitable hmm. and also they really they claim that they're not exploiting these workers. Cause I think that was one of the first <laughs> thoughts, right? When we think about outsourcing and, yeah. and we're like, are they getting exploited? Well then they vehemently denied that these workers were being exploited.
1: It's a super team-based approach to the conversation of outsourcing. And this was like one of those startups that can only exist a few years into remote work and companies being comfortable and knowing the intricacies of hiring global talent. Because I don't know if you guys remember, like, VCs used to come to me and be like, actually, our portfolio companies are being really flexible and are hiring people across the world. And like that was news yeah. in a way. <laughs> now I'm super numb to it. So this, I think, was just one of those stories you read and you're like, damn, things have grown. On the exploitation front though, Marianne, I was super surprised to see how Astro is kind of trying to, quote, de-risk mm-hmm. a little bit of this. Like I saw in the story that they're using surveys to collect various performance metrics from engineers, combining them with a personality profile, mm-hmm. which is a huge question mark, all in the end giving an engineering score to show like sophistication mm-hmm. of the team. So it's it's so subjective. It feels yeah. like a headache. Even though it's a good idea.
2: Yeah, and I was disappointed that they didn't share like what the salary ranges are for these people. I would have I would have been curious to see how they ranked compared to how the same talent would be paid here in the US.
0: Yeah, but I mean, buying power does matter. And so I wouldn't expect them to match one to one, but certainly also the exploitation point really rings with me. But what's interesting, Natasha, is is your historical notes really so well because Andela was doing this, I Mm. think with developer talent in Africa and linking them to American companies that needed more developers. And Andela's been around for a while now. And there's actually another company called Volley that's doing the same thing with African talent, but in the sales space. They're essentially creating pools of SDR talent, which is kind of the people that sit below AEs in a sales org. And so there's now three companies that we've kind of mentioned on the show or know about that are doing this kind of talent connection. And I wonder if it's going to do as well as people hope, because there does seem to be a retrenchment away from Mm -hmm. remote work flexibility, especially at the Mm -hmm. major tech company level. And so I'm hopeful that these do well because I want people to have access to opportunities, but I want if the market winds are actually blowing a little bit now the other direction.
1: International operations are kind of like the first, as we'll talk about later, to get questioned or cut just like there's a reason why people want those roles to be flexible, and mm-hmm. that is really uncomfortable too. So there's so many like actual like scaling questions for this company.
2: Yeah, they said that they're I mentioned earlier profitable, cash flow positive, with 17 million in annual recurring revenue from a customer base totaling 47 companies.
0: Okay, <laughs> Alex <Yes>. is dancing. <laughs> yes, but oh yeah, we're not a video anymore. You can't see. It. I'm making <laughs> hand gestures. <laughs> <of> doubt. <laughs> Here's okay. Annual recurring revenue is a very specific substance. It does not mean your annualized run rate. And I know they both acronymize to ARR, but they're different. And so I'm slightly leery of letting them use the annual recurring revenue point on this, given that we're talking about labor contracts versus software agreements. That said, I do love a company that tells us both profitability and cash flow positivity because those are actually distinct things quite often. Mm -hmm. And so in this Mm -hmm. case, we can tell that Astro is doing pretty well. And Marianne, they raised some money, didn't they? Oh, yeah.
2: Yeah, we forgot about it. <laughs> Yeah, I think they came out of Stealth with $13 million in Series A funding, Greycroft, Obvious Ventures, and some other unnamed backers. Uh, yeah, Love it's it.
0: super interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my deal of the week is a company called Stacked. And this is one that I'm pretty excited about because it combines my two favorite things, esports and crypto. Okay, that's kind of a lie, but <laughs> I do enjoy both areas, <laughs> at least intellectually. And what Stacked is trying to do, just raised $12.9 million, Series A led by Pantera Capital with some other participating entities, including Line Ventures and YJ Capital. Essentially, it's like Twitch, which mm-hmm. is the esports streaming service that we're all familiar with, but with what you might call tokenomics. And Natasha, I want your first impression of how cool it might be to have tokens in your Twitch.
1: I'm going to be super annoying and say that my first impression was what does Alex think about this? So (laughs) Alex, what is your, no, I'm kidding. But it actually did remind me a little bit about a story you wrote in January for TC Plus, which was titled Despite Blockchain's Gaming Play to Earn Angle, I Prefer to Pay. Mm, That's Uh, right. I still think about that story because I actually hadn't heard about this idea of play to earn. And this feels like kind of a startup that supports a future that you're not a huge fan of. Am I correct?
0: There, there's a really interesting nuance to that. So play to earn, and back in January if you recall, that's several years ago in crypto terms, even if it's only <laughs> a couple of months in kind of normal business cycles, there was a lot of talk about Axie Infinity and games that essentially had some sort of reward for taking part in them. You got paid in a token, that token was floating, you could sell it, you could essentially make money playing games. For me personally as a long term, really lifelong on gamer, wasn't really the jam. That's what that was about. In this case, though, I'm slightly less skeptical, Natasha, because it appears that what they want to do is conserve a chunk of value outside of the investors and founders and employees in the, quote, community. And essentially reward both streamers and viewers for taking part in the service. So I presume they'll generate revenue somehow and then kind of cut them up and then that'll filter down to the tokens. Mm. A lot of questions about that. How will it work? Will it work? Will people want to take part in it? But you got to bootstrap a Twitch competitor with some sort of angle or hook. And in this case, it's this. And there are crypto fans out there. So maybe that's how you get your first 100,000 million users or not. Or maybe no one shows up and (laughs) everyone uses Twitch because it's already been developed. But here's the thing. Amazon owns Twitch. I mean, how much more power do you want to give to Amazon?
1: Yeah. I think one thing that popped up in the story was the users don't need to be crypto savvy Mm -hmm. in order to use it, which I think is like we're seeing now so many crypto companies claim that. How optimistic are we all feeling? Because even learning about the company, the word tokenomics can be pretty difficult for someone to just be like, oh yeah, 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 of course. I know what that means. BRB,
2: right? I don't know. I saw that and I was like, I have my doubts because I think someone who's not crypto savvy is not going to be drawn to this anyway, right?
0: Okay. Yeah. And here's a question that I have. How many people are crypto savvy? Because in our little world of Twitter and tech reporters (laughs) and entrepreneurs, most folks have at least some level of knowledge. Sure. But I was checking NFT monthly sales data this morning because I'm the coolest kid around. And I was a little surprised to see how few active wallets were driving essentially the bulk of Mm -hmm. NFT transactions. It's like 150K wallets, I think on OpenSea on kind of a week to week basis. And if that's wrong, it's because my memory sucks, sorry. But check it out on doing yourself. It's not that many people. And so if this does end up only being really for the crypto savvy or the crypto interested, then it's doomed. But if you can find a way to take a flavor of crypto and bring it into a product that we know works, it could be a way to actually have what people have been looking for for a long time, which is an on-ramp to crypto that isn't super hard and doesn't get your wallet taken. So that'd be cool.
1: That would be best case scenario, I think. Yeah. I was talking to Gabby Goldberg about this a while ago. I was like, how do you learn as a VC investing in the crypto space, how do you talk to people who don't have anything to do with crypto and kind of help you question and recheck your assumptions? Because I think something like even crypto savvies, depending on how humble you are, like you may think that you're not crypto savvy at all or and when you really are one of the smarter people in the mm-hmm. room. And it was just an interesting conversation because I think it's something that we all struggle with. If we had all the time in the day, I would love to talk to someone who had no reason or was a gamer for a long time, but wasn't in the crypto world and get their take. So I just think I always think about with crypto is like, how do you talk to normal people?
0: <laughs> yeah. I'm just going to go ahead and read a tech meme headline from August 30th, 2022 to summarize what we're talking about verbatim. Kevin Rose's NFT startup Proof announces $50 million Series A led by Andreessen Horowitz, the NFT project Moonbird's Mythics launching in 2023, and a DAO to license Moonbird's name. That means something to someone, but I I don't think it means a lot to many, if that makes sense. It's a little bit down the rabbit hole. And maybe that's where the market is. Maybe we're the curmudgeons, but I, I wonder. And also, why does every crypto startup need fifty million dollars? Like, <laughs> like a Series E. You need for money. A you need a.
1: money when you don't have ARR. <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh, I really want to talk I mean, about
2: the crypto story I read this week, where crypto.com accidentally sent someone in Australia seven point two million instead of what, like, was it sixty dollars or something? I don't know. I just had I had to bring that up because. It,
0: Yeah. And now they want the money back. And then uh, the follow on to the story was Bill Gurley from Benchmark did a spicy tweet saying essentially like, isn't it funny that everyone wants to get away from the government? And then when they have a problem, they run back to the government for help. (laughs) But let's move along to our third deal of the week. We are talking about a company called Anchor that has raised seven figures and we think it's neat.
1: Yes. So this is coming out of Nigeria. It came out of stealth this week with a 1 million pre-seed and it's making its platform public. The company is really banking as a service play. It's trying to really make it easier for startups who want to build a full-scale digital bank or provide embedded finance with everything from compliance covering to like building beyond just payments services. It's trying to do a lot like security, compliance, scalability, payments. One of those fintechs that I think is in a really smart geography to be doing that I doubt it would be getting as much interest and excitement if it was here, but I'm really bullish on it because it's one of many within Africa, which is the fintech hotspot to be launching with such a big pitch.
0: That was my impression as well, because when we think about banking as a service or Bass, in the United States and other markets, to me, it's kind of like well-trodden territory. There's yeah. a number of Bass providers. And if you want to add checking accounts or debit cards, or whatever to your service, you can probably pick and choose whatever vendor you want. In a place like Africa, which has a slightly lower level of startup penetration across the continent, this could be a service that could have big traction, especially if it can allow other companies to build more fintechy things more quickly. As we know, Africa and fintech is, mm-hmm. is hot. It has been hot for years.
2: Yeah, something else I found really interesting is the, the person who started this company, Sagun Adimi, am I butchering his last name? Probably, I'm sorry. He also founded another company called Amplify, mm-hmm. a payment platform that helped integrate payments on social media platforms. So this is not like his first rodeo, which is doesn't really apply to Africa. So sorry. I'm in Texas. But you know what I'm trying to say here. Like he's done this before. He started a company in the fintech space before and Looks like he had some success with it when it got acquired, right? A few years ago. So starting over again with this Bass company. And I, I think there's a lot of potential. Agree with you guys.
1: Yeah, Mary. And I totally, well, one, uh-huh. love the rodeo mention. We need more <laughs> Texas from you on this
0: show. Am I right, Alex? Oh, I mean, as someone who was in 4-H for a long time and has been to more county fairs than I want to imagine. And my sisters actually were in, a, I think, a donkey riding competition at one point in time. <laughs> oh my God. I'm all, all in favor of rodeos. But I do think we need to come up with a, a technology and startup focused equivalent. Like this is not my first down round or this Ooh. is not my first right sizing or, you know, <laughs> this is not my first oops. I pushed that to production. There's gotta be some sort of, you know, yeah. way to see Not that. your
1: mother's recapitalization.
0: Oh, <laughs> I don't know. Oh These jokes God. are terrible.
1: They're horrible. So nerdy. <laughs> we need to brainstorm this one day, clearly. <laughs> Offline. No, Marion, I think you bring up a good point about like the de-risking. Because one thing I was going to ask you as someone who spends a lot more time covering the banking as a service and just like fintech world is when I heard seven month old startup wants to provide APIs, dashboards, tools that help developers embed and build banking products. I was like, is this company going to have a hard time getting clients to trust it? Or are we at a point in this B A A S bass trend where there's enough technology out there that people aren't like that's super experimental and scary to go to a seven month old startup for
2: right yeah no I think the latter for sure and again you know the track record of the CEO helps a lot
0: yeah, yeah. that to me is, is the key point here to your question Natasha like if this was just you know Billy Bob and Jackie Jane building a company I would be like cool yeah show me when it all works but given their pedigree and the capital that they've raised and kind of their their YC pedigree gives a little bit more credibility to it I will say we can now call every fintech investor an angler because they're always out there bass fishing.
1: Wow. <laughs> Dude, you've written, you've already written like six headlines <laughs> for the show and I'm trying to write them down without getting typing in the audio. Oh my God. I promised
0: I would bring all the sh- posting because you. you have been under the weather. so
1: <laughs> I appreciate it. Awesome.
0: Let's pivot though. The YC mention was my attempt at a segue because there's quite a lot going on in YC land. First of all, Natasha, what's happening next week and what was the big YC news most recently?
1: Yes, so next week is Demo Day. It is the first Demo Day since YC went back in person through the pandemic, smaller batch, lots of fun tensions and equity plus TC plus plus TC will be all over it next week. But of course, a week ahead of time, YC gave us kind of their biggest news in years, which is that Gary Tan will be the new CEO and president of Y Combinator, starting January 2023, this is one of those times where Marianne's Slack message woke me up to... <laughs> jump on the freaking news with her, Marianne. So how you you, you started that draft. So tell us about what's going on. Oh, okay. I didn't realize I woke you up. Sorry about
2: that. And no, um, in a good way. I was like,
1: thank you for messaging me. It was not casual. <laughs> like how could I almost texted you? You know, I was like sitting there.
2: Do I text? Do I not? I don't know. Um, but anyway, yeah. So we woke up to that Monday morning. I was like, oh, whoa, am I reading this right? I, I didn't expect this. Now, Gary Tan becoming president CEO of YC is not as out of left field as you might think. He actually was partner there, right? Like many years ago, he was a YC founder in 2008. But as a partner, he was like, I think almost five years, he funded a bunch of companies, hundreds, worked with like a thousand founders. So as you put so eloquently in your headline, this is kind of a full circle moment, right? For YC at Natasha.
1: It totally is. I mean, he really is someone I've been following since starting to report on early stage venture because as the co-founder of Initialize with Alex Sohanian, who also stepped away, which we'll get to later, I feel like Gary Tan is really synonymous with like, content about her early stage startups and it's been pretty like present unlike the previous president of YC Jeff Ralston he he took a much quieter approach to the position and so it's also kind of cool to see a new kind of energy taking the helm Alex what were your first reactions to seeing a new leader
0: well I was a little surprised it wasn't Michael Seibel yeah we've had Michael Seibel on the show when he was I forget his exact title at YC but I, I thought of him at the time essentially the head of YC we've had Gary Tan back on the show in at least 2018 we did a live show at Disrupt SF. And that was back when he was at Initialized Capital. I've interviewed Jeff Ralston and we've had Sam Altman on the show and Alexis Ohanian. So essentially, you know, I've met Sam Altman. We've had Alexis on the show. So we've had okay. most of these people around us. <sighs> Impressions about this? I mean, Gary is an obvious candidate for the role given his focus, history, and I would say in-market reputation. Yes. Cloud. Yeah, cloud. Cloud's a good word for it. To me, the question really wasn't why him at YC? It's more like what now initialized. That was my take, because mm. frankly, mm-hmm. initialized capital has scaled to something like, I think, a total of like more than three billion AUM, mm-hmm. which is a simply enormous amount of money. It's, it's a success in its own right. And so to step mm-hmm. away from essentially a job you could keep until you die into a more difficult job is a choice and one that made me sit back and kind of rethink my own priors a little bit.
1: Yeah. I want to talk about initialize. I want to spend one more second on the Michael Seibel point because I had the same reaction when yeah, I first saw this. Because, you know, he used to be the CEO of YC's accelerator. YC also has a bunch of other parts to it, but its accelerator is obviously the most well known. They did a reorg where there are no like no double ups on CEOs. And so then he just became managing partner of YC's early stage, if I'm correct. So, I mean, YC did say that Michael Seibel's role will not be changing along with other people due to Gary Tan's move. Because sometimes when new executives are appointed, you do see a reshuffling of Sorts. For now, we don't see anything. But I will say, like, Seibel is synonymous with that accelerator. And so I'm definitely watching, watching him to see what what's next for him and mm-hmm. how a new president and CEO would either impact his role or you know give him bandwidth to do something else.
0: Well, now Michael Seibel should do a hostile takeover of initialized capital. <laughs> <And> that,
1: <laughs> That's the thought. That
0: is the obvious next step.
1: Ready to like have your mind blown if I'm getting this right. When Alexis Ohanian stepped down from initialized capital in 2020. He also gave up his Reddit board seat, which was then taken over by Michael Seibel. This world oh, is so what? full circle and it just like is not easy in some ways. Oh my I, gosh. <laughs> Are there Brain
2: eight just people exploded.
1: In yeah. Silicon
0: Valley? <laughs> is it just eight people? Like sometimes it Whoa. does feel that way. Like like how many jobs has the, uh, who's the co-CEO of Salesforce? Brett Taylor.
1: Yes. Oh my God. Yes.
0: Right? Like <laughs> I feel like, Pat Taylor's just laterally climbing the Silicon Valley ladder, just like constantly. It's like, he must be freaking amazing. I don't know him, but he must be outstanding given that everyone wants to hire him. Anyways, Gary Tan is, is a person that I, I'll just say it. I, I've liked him in person when we've talked. I mean, he's always seemed to be pretty clear and, and fair to me. I didn't know Jeff as well, so I don't really have an opinion about the swap per se, but it does set YC up for stability in a post return to in-person world. Like I feel like they've now got the pieces together for a period of non-change for a bit.
1: Yeah. Let's talk about initialized, Marianne.
2: Yeah, yeah, exactly. So Jen Wuff and Brett Gibson have been a managing partners. Jen Wolf in particular, I think she is she's a new president. Is that right? Am I remembering correctly? She's been the yeah.
1: president for years. Based on how some people are reacting, it's like she's been running the show for a while, which some questions mm-hmm. then.
2: So this is supposedly just more formal. This is like a formalization of what she's basically been doing behind the scenes for a while. So that, yeah, that's a whole other topic of conversation that we won't get into right now. But yeah, very curious to see what's next for Initialized. They've had a lot of successes. Clearly they've scaled, as you pointed out, Alex. But the two, we had Alexis, we had Gary, and now neither are really like active day to day anymore. Alexis is no longer—he's no longer even on the board. Is that right, Natasha? Didn't we just find that out this week?
1: Yeah, yeah. When he was stepping down, I believe it was Gary Tan who said that Alexis will remain on as a board partner, meaning that he will continue to serve on the boards of initialized companies that he invested in. And then this week, when we wrote the story, we actually got a something disguised as a correction, which was actually just news. <laughs> which was mm-hmm. they said that he's no longer a board partner. Alexis is no longer a board partner. So I think there's like a follow-up story there. Definitely some, something behind the scenes for folks yeah.
0: who don't know. What is a board partner? And just to be clear, it's B-O-A-R-D, not (laughs) B-O-R-E-D.
1: Maybe he was so bored that he's no longer a board partner. It's just someone who continues to be like, it's one of those like venture advisor or like executive chairman roles where it's like you are lightly in touch with your company that you have left or your firm that you have left and you carry some sort of responsibility with you. I think Alexis is formally stepping away. Maybe I'm completely hypothesizing here. Maybe it was due to conflict of interest with 776. Yeah, We don't know how Gary Tan is going to handle that conflict of interest when he is president of Y Combinator because, I mean, yeah, we're still waiting for some big questions to be answered about conflict of interest here. This is not casual. Mm-hmm. If initialized fund is still not fully invested, Gary Tan becomes CEO of YC, what happens? Here's the thing though.
0: <laughs> We in the journalism world are very allergic to conflict of interest. In the business world, conflict of interest is often just called synergy or knowing people. Mm, and mm-hmm. it, <laughs> that's so true. It, it's a different <laughs> it's true. a different game, you know? Like it's not the same set of rules that we have in journalism, and that's fine because they're different you know, domains of work. But I think when we consider conflict of interest, it's this big, terrible thing versus initialized in YC might say, hey, cool, now we have even closer ties with a fund that was built to be the seed fund that YC founders wanted. Maybe this is going to lead to some positive collaboration, you might say. But let's go ahead and move on because there's quite a lot to talk about. And Marianne, you wrote a very sad post over the weekend entitled burn baby burn real estate focused <laughs> fintech startups feel the heat and I read this and I was like this is going to be all good news and then I was surprised when it was not good news so what's going on
2: right well the burn reference burning lots of cash which I wrote about two real estate fintech focused startups last week that have done just that including one whose name that we've all been trying to figure out how to pronounce and we've decided on Rayleigh Rayleigh yes. Rayleigh. okay so this company last week is a buy before you sell startup raised hundred million dollars a year ago announced last week that it was beginning to wind down operations shutting down and laying off. And so, you know, this kind of just blows your mind when you hear companies raising that much money. And then a year later, like, Oh, sorry, didn't work out, you know? So I heard from sources that the company was burning through lots and lots of cash was in debt and desperately trying to like sell the business at least or parts of it another example is once again better.com being in the news with its fourth layoff in nine months Damn! talk about burning cash CEO even admitted in a video that, that I saw firsthand that the company went through what what did he say we pissed away 200 million dollars last year I mean this just pisses me off I'm sorry I, I get I feel the rage building up in me when I write and read these kinds of things like like it's nothing and there's people in the world who need so much right who could do so much with even just like, thousand dollars And you're talking about pissing away $200 million like it's nothing. So th- this infuriates me. Now, <laughs> I would like to point out though, the whole real estate sector is not down in the dumps right now. There are some real estate focused startups that are doing well. I wrote about one this week called Blanda. And what they're trying to do is like a fractional real estate oh, ownership yeah. where they're giving people a chance to buy into rental properties for as little as $5. We had another one of those this summer called Arrived. Jeff Bezos backed that one that their entry point was $100. And it just it raised like $25 million earlier this year, I think was it Rita that wrote about Prop Seller in Singapore. So I mean, the real estate sector is not like all doing badly. But the ones who are are clearly like Going through cash, like it's nothing.
0: And it, it seems, Marianne, that it's any company that is involved with the buying and selling of uh, uh, consumer real estate. What's that called? Home buying. Home buying. buying. Yes, yeah. that's that yeah. thing. Re- I mean- regular folks buying houses. That's not a good place to be anymore. Interest rates are up. Right. Mortgages are down. Refinances are in the toilet. And this is why people are talking about, you know, the cash burn Racine ad Compass, for example.
2: Yeah. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm, that's right. Yeah, it's definitely not a great time to be in. now a year and a half ago or two years ago. Excellent time to be in this space, right? You know, people are refinancing left and right rushing out to buy homes. And now we're in the exact opposite environment. As you point out, mortgage interest rates climbed, there's all these overheated markets, housing inventory shortages. So these companies saw business decline significantly. And obviously didn't necessarily plan for that very Mm-mm. well and are suffering the consequences
0: right now. Well, now that we talk about this, I'm kind of curious if a lot of the companies that were doing the buying and selling of houses, you know, buying them for cash, selling them later, doing the I-buying route, doing the company, whatever. I wonder if all that was just real estate arbitrage in a period in which money was free and it just didn't make sense in a climate in which interest rates were getting higher and money was getting more expensive. That may be a very unschooled thing to say, but it just hit me. So I figured, why not? Let's put it on the podcast. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, no, no, I mean, part of it for sure.
1: I was going to ask Marion, yeah, because you broke out as a reporter, as a real estate reporter, right? That used to be like your full-time e- focus. Well,
2: I covered dot-com, boom and bust in the late 90s. So I started tech stuff a long, long time ago, but I was a real estate reporter for a number of years in Silicon Valley and then just generally. So yes, I have a sort of a nerd out on this stuff. And I think it's very interesting. And I think it's fascinating. Really, these stories actually perform pretty well because it, they affect everybody, right? Like, yes, most people either you rent or you buy. And so it matters. And a lot of these, like we've talked about, rental startups are doing really well because right now there's a lot of people that are opting to rent. So I don't know. This is just something that impacts everybody on an everyday basis and people are interested in it.
0: Yeah. I just find it really funny because I follow a lot of lefty Twitter. I follow a lot of all kinds of political Twitter, but like lefty Twitter is my favorite and lefty Twitter hates landlords. And so <laughs> the, idea, the idea that we're going to turn everyone into a landlord to me is cool. just like Twitter engagement bait. Like hate your landlord, become your landlord. Five dollars. And like, (laughs) I, but I'm just sure I would get insta canceled for that. (laughs)
1: Thank you for your help with that headline, by the way, Alex. (laughs) That was a good headline. If you don't know what we're talking about, it'll be in the show. No. All
0: right. Let's move on to our third and final theme of the week, which is essentially right sizing at companies in two different ways. One is a retraction in staffing and one is a retraction in scope. And I want to start actually in reverse order with Clearco, Natasha, because this is the company we've talked about a lot and they are making some interesting moves.
1: Yeah. So one month after cutting a quarter of staff, Clearco came to me this week to say that they are cutting international staff again because it's retracting its presence in some of the places that it was touting as its future when it raised SoftBank money last year. So it's walking back at international expansion in the UK, Germany, Ireland, and Australia, and will now focus on the geographies where 80% of its activity is, which is the United States and Canada. ClearCo, for people who maybe are kind of like, do I remember that company? It used to be called ClearBank, very well known for the 20-minute term sheet and just providing non-dilutive capital to e-commerce founders. And I mean, Alex, you been on the e-commerce beat, not super surprising to see a company that's hedged entirely on e-commerce's success to be making some pretty significant steps back.
0: Yeah. We've seen a lot of this. In fact, there was a boom, I want to say six, eight, 12 months ago in which a lot of these e-commerce aggregators were raising hundreds of millions of dollars. Marianne covered some of this and I I felt bad for her because it felt like she was being punished by the news gods. And they were essentially- Thrasio,
2: right? Is that the name of the one that, yeah, that was one of the bigger ones. Mm -hmm.
0: But they were a number. It wasn't just Thrasio. They were raising so much money, Marianne. Right. There was a lot of them. And how are they doing? Well, the answer is, you know, not particularly well. And I'm not surprised to see other e-commerce tuned companies or anyone eating off the e-commerce plate struggling. That said, you know, I feel like Clerico has been really taking body blows. Are are, are we done with the bad news from them?
1: I hope so. I will say like, so one switch up that happened recently was Michelle Romano and Andrew D'Souza used to be co-founders, or they still are, I guess, technically. But Andrew stepped down from the CEO position, was succeeded by Michelle, and Andrew's now in an executive chairman position. So we're really seeing this like solo person in charge of the company. And she is not being subtle about the changes she's making. And in some ways, I respect the changes. I don't love the round after round of layoffs because I think for morale, like you just don't feel safe. And we're talking about better.com having four rounds of layoffs. Clearco has had three. There's so many questions around, like, do you stay there? So beyond even layoffs, they're going to be facing a lot of people who work for the company questioning things. Yeah, that's a good point. I'm seeing the focus around focus, though. And it's kind of what we're seeing with Snapchat this week. It, it, there's this refocusing that is rippling through.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you guys remember when Snap debuted that really cool little drone called the Pixie? Yes. That was going like, to follow you around and take pictures of you and stuff. And I was like, oh, this is really cool. It's you know, cute
1: as hell. It's creepy
0: though. Anyway. Okay, Never mind. All right, well, that's, that's two yeses and a hard no from Marianne.
1: <laughs> diversity of opinion. We love yeah, it diversity.
0: that
2: question. All right,
0: Marianne, why is it creepy? Uh,
2: I, we don't have enough time to get into my thoughts. All right, on.
0: fair enough. <laughs> well, anyways, the good news from Marianne and everyone who thinks like her is that they are reducing their overall product footprint. Uh, the Pixie is out. They're pulling back on some original content and essentially they're seemingly just focusing. And this news came from Snap, the parent company of Snapchat Snap comma, a camera company, because they did an investor update inside of which they announced enormous layoffs think about 20 percent of their team. and I read through a bunch of this, and the gist and the Natasha is that their growth is slowing down, they're unsure about the macro environment, and they are essentially making a hard right turn towards increased profitability
1: yeah. It's like kind of like the end of experimentation for Snapchat or for Snap right mm-hmm. now. And I, it's it sucks because we a few weeks ago, I would say more in July, we saw lots of rounds of twenty percent cuts. So much that it kind of became like a rule of thumb in a way, where all these big companies had to mm, cut that's right. Yeah, a quarter of staff. And this time I think it's one of the biggest layoffs we've seen. Over the past six weeks, it impacted thousands of people. Mm. And one of the smartest people I know got, got cut as part of this. And I was really bummed because I think obviously really smart people are in the experimental units. And it was team-based. It wasn't like caliber or quality-based. Mm-hmm. Yeah, So just painful to see. I, th- I think we had a really good story too about Zenly. Zenly-specific right. shutdown.
2: Yeah, and we talked about Zenly on this show. I think it was back in May. I remember we had a lively conversation about yes. this. Like, What was it, a social mapping company that Snap had purchased, but was still sort of running fairly autonomously as I understood it now it's being shut down. Is that right?
0: Or or at least deprecated to a large degree, which is good news for Felt, the mapping startup that John runs. If you don't follow at Can on Twitter, really fun guy, writes the Martians. So, you know, plus one, minus one on the mapping front. But did you guys see the news that they're going to be working a little bit more on? I think it's Snapchat Plus, which is kind of their subscription thing. Yeah. Um. And then there's news that Facebook is also trying to kind of get in on that action. And I I think we're essentially seeing some... (laughs) Major ad-based businesses trying to pivot more towards recurring revenue from their users. It's almost like TechCrunch to a degree. Maybe we <laughs> were early.
1: <laughs> all the pluses. It's so weird, pioneer, to see it happen. Like it's like always been true, right? Like we've always known that that's more stable. And so it is sad to see it have to bear its teeth so dramatically. Like Snapchat shutting all this down and impacting international teams. And yeah. Yeah, it's weird. Lots of questions.
0: Looping back to the top of the show, we were talking about the Twitter edit button to kick things off. And I think if I read the news correctly, and I know this is just kind of coming out today, so we might be slightly wrong, but I think the edit button is going to be constrained to Twitter Blue users. And Twitter Blue is essentially Twitter Plus, if you want to think about it that way. It's the thing you pay for. I pay for it because I'm a Twitter addict. But I wonder if we're going to really start to see pretty much every social network pivot away from purely ad based revenues, more or less towards subscriptions. And I wonder what that's going to do to the overall model, because if it's not ad based, then impressions matter less. And so the activity matters less, which means that engagements can be measured differently. And that could rewrite the rules for startups and big companies alike in the social media space. So food for thought. But that's kind of where my my head's at on that.
1: Yeah, yeah. It requires a lot of work, so I'm a little dubious to see people like completely re- reinventing the wheel. But I hear what you're saying, and I feel Amanda Silberling from our team like knocking on the equity Zoom chat to talk about this. So we yes. should talk about that. We, we should, <laughs> and there's
0: one thing that I've learned helping with TC Plus in the last six months is that it's very easy to build a large bucket of recurring revenue, nothing simpler. Term's <laughs> never an issue. You don't have to worry about pricing and packaging, international taxes, no. <laughs> it's,
1: a, it's laugh. a none of it. It's a breeze. <laughs> yeah,
0: I haven't lost half of my remaining hair. <laughs> okay, we have to stop. But first, we have to do uh, a very short promo. Disrupt our flagship event, San Yay! Francisco, this October. Woo! We're all going to be there. And we can say that Equity, drumroll please, will be live on stage. Yay! I think it's either the opening or closing day. The opening. Could, it's it's, we're it's the opening, opening the day. whole
1: conference. It's oh not going to be God. any pressure. I'm going to literally <laughs> cry when I see both of you. <laughs> I can't wait. Should we not see each other till on stage? Like, should we do like a first look?
0: oh my gosh it's so much pressure on me sartorially
1: I'm so sorry so sorry oh my god we're doing also, it also
0: is, is anyone else like working out more so that way when we see everyone else at Disrupt we don't look you know not our best is that just okay, me I will, Okay, I just just me <laughs> Natasha you ran a half marathon recently pipe down <laughs>
1: Right. No, I just can't wait. Oh my God, we're doing a first look, I can't wait to see all of y'all. Oh my God. Anyways, there's also a a
0: promo. So if you are coming to Disrupt and haven't bought a pass yet, you can use the code EQUITY, all caps. I think it saves you 15% off. So do that if you want to save some money. And you make us look good internally, which is never a bad thing. Yeah, so Disrupt's going to be an absolute bop. I'm hosting the TechCrunch Plus stage. And I know you guys have a lot of stuff on the TC Plus stage. And then there's also the Disrupt stage, the other main stage. It's going to be huge, is my impression. It's Hell the yes. first
2: Disrupt in three years. It's going to be amazing.
0: The first in-person Disrupt in three yeah, years. In person,
2: sorry, in yeah, in-person, sorry. In-person Disrupt in three years. So
1: I can't wait. Serena Williams will be there. Alex Wilhelm will be there. <laughs> <laughs> or what else you a- want?
0: That's <laughs> like an insult. Like <laughs> Serena Williams is coming. The piece of gum on the bottom of my shoe is coming. No. Like, it's like, what a come down. No, but it's going to be, it's going to be a blast. We're planning some cool stuff. I'm looking forward to it. And I'm looking forward to uh quarantining when I get home. So I don't give my pregnant spouse COVID. <laughs> all right. That's all we have for today's show. Now we're going to shut up and talk to our producers. Bye everybody. Bye. Bye. Bye.